There is a typo in the program. The title is Poets said war, Warn and Console rather than Warm and Console. That would be a bit weird. Um, okay, in a talk show broadcasted on Greek TV in 1998, Malvina Karali and Vasilis Rafaelidis debated Thodorisis Agelopoulos' work. The issue at stake was not the aesthetic merit of the most acclaimed Greek director's films, but Karali's statement of feeling national pride when Angelopoulos received the Golden Globe Award. Rafaelidis contested that on this occasion, claiming national pride was hypocritical, since before Angelopoulos' nomination, Greek national institutions had been unsupportive of the director's work. In fact, reactions from the conservative establishment of the Greek Orthodox Church, but also from critics and journalists, had often verged on attacks. It was in light of these responses that Rafaelidis saw Carly's claim to nationwide sentiments of gratification and honor as affected and somewhat unscrupulous. The debate, which highlighted the role that international acclaim plays in boosting internal recognition, with all the undercurrent hints to misguided provincialism that Rafaelidis' claim carried, brought to mind C.P. Kavafi's case, and in particular the suspicion with which he was initially made in Athens. Motivated by the literary antagonism that often underpins reactions to the arrival of a talented newcomer, in the early 20th century a significant portion of the Athenian cultural establishment was neutrally and even negatively predisposed toward Kavafi's work. This aspect of the poet's initial reception in Greece has of course, of course been erased through time under the weight of the recognition Kavafi has since enjoyed but also through the, shift, the, the swift change of tune of those skeptical of his work, once it became apparent that their critique had begun to pale in comparison to the poet's rising acclaim, now threatening to leave them behind as the embittered critics of significant literary achievement. What is common in both Agelopoulos' and Kavafi's case is a discrepancy between cautious first reactions and the overstatedly opposed sense of national pride that these figures eventually evoked a discrepancy that challenges the notion of the intrinsic value of the work of art and highlights aesthetic appreciation as conditional on prestigious awards, <coughs> glorious events, and laudatory reception by those already possessing the power and acclaim to affirm, produce, and secure creative greatness. Today, I will focus uh, on Kavafi's trajectory in crisis-struck Greece and address a number of questions that arise from it. I brought this opening example in as a reminder that the cultural capital accumulated in the name of Kavafi, in all its current greatness, is firstly a product of a dialectic between Greek national celebration and international canonization, and secondly, that it encompasses but also surpasses the poetry itself. These two factors are indispensable to the way Kavafi has been monumentalized and rest at the core of his widespread appeal, which has, as I will show, lent itself to a variety of appropriations during the crisis years. The factors that have secured Kavafi's greatness, uh, Kavafi's literary posterity, are powerful and tenacious, and also to some extent elusive and incalculable. Authorial relationships, historical and political circumstance, publishing and translation practices, extra literary events, and of course randomness, played an important role in supplying the poet's work with new layers of signification. With a corpus of only 154 published poems, Kavafi has been immortalized as the most celebrated modern Greek writer, his fame surpassing that of Nobel Prize winners George Seferis and Odysseus Elitis, both most prominent writers at the time. Publishing events of worldwide eminence affirmed this fate, with the advertising blurbs of Kavafi translations published by Oxford World's Classics, 
and I've got the covers of these two, two publications. The first one is 2007, and later Penguin Classics, 2008, so before the, the start of the crisis, really, persistently underlining Cavafy's, and I quote from the advertising blurbs, magic, singularity, and uniqueness. This narrative of Cavafy's rare talent and intangible charisma, as it was circulated in both the Greek and the Anglophone world, is still in currency today, re-articulated by a new set of influential stakeholders in Cavafy's fortune. While for the Anglophone modernist authors who systematically engaged with Cavafy's work, such as Forster, Darrow and Auden, the poet had provided a deterritorialized mo authorial model and a cultural figure without national boundaries, the least Greek of all Greek uh, writers in some sense, Cavafy at the same time had a tremendous impact on the reformation of the Greek literary canon. The vast amount of scholarship and criticism orbiting around his work and personality established him as a poet worthy of the attention of national academic and educational institutions. Not only produced in Greece, but also imported from abroad, Cavafy's reputation grew rapidly through time until his poetic value exceeded the field of literary production to permeate other areas of cultural influence. Noting Cavafy's importance during the crisis years in Greece, the poet's translator, Daniel Mendelssohn, wrote in his article titled, The Right Poem, and I quote, it is to Cavafy and not to, Th not to Thucydides that some Greeks have been turning lately, trading screenshots of poems on Twitter, wondering which of his disappointed lyrics about this or that failed regime is the right poem for the current Greek crisis, unquote. This trend, rather than being limited to Greece, is a product of long-standing cultural politics of canonization. External and internal appropriations of the poet keep deriving legitimacy from each other, um, uh, finding in Cavafy's globally established radiance an opportunity to exchange opinion on the crisis, recount the country's misadventures, or criticize everyday realities. And I've got three examples from um, very uh, widely read uh, outlets. The first one is from the Financial Times. Um, in this article, uh, the journalist finds in Cavafy's poem, Waiting for the Barbarians, themes of decline and decay that serve to alert us to global concerns arising from a crisis. Um, and I quote from, from this article from the Financial Times, uh, the pervasive foreboding of doom depicted in Cavafy's masterwork should serve in 2016 as a wake-up call for Europe, unquote. The second one is from the uh, German newspaper Die Zeit, where the former editor-in-chief, Theo Sommer, criticized the handling of the Greek crisis by quoting in whole Cavafy's poem in a large Greek colony, 200 BC, urging his readers to benefit from its message. <laughs> The third, um, the third screenshot is from The Guardian. It's actually from The Guardian's live coverage of negotiations in Greece, where it is mentioned that, quote, leaving the Maximus mansion, George Karazaferis quoted a poem by Constantine Cavafy, suggesting that he had rejected the deal, unquote. It's not only in uh, celebrated kind of media outlets that Cavafy appears, it's also in more personalized blogs. And you'll see here um, the Greek crisis in Cavafy, the second one of Greece at a slight angle to the universe. This is a phrase used by Ian e. Forster to talk about Cavafy. Or the third one, um, uh, talking about um, uh, undo referendum politics uh, through the, uh, Cavafy's Ithaca, another, another famous poem by Cavafy. Um, times of crisis generate, generate political polarization, and as such, kickstart processes of introspection within the public sphere. 
an authoritative voice or an overviewing consciousness that departs from the present moment to nevertheless illuminate it comes handy in such urgent contexts. With the complexity of the issues at hand, encouraging fast-track approaches and shortcuts as a means to make sense of the incomprehensible, to offer guidance or just to reflect on current predicaments. The wider Kavafi's usage was on an international scale, the more dependable his authority as the guiding voice of the crisis became. Uh, the issue now being, uh, being to find the right poem on which to project conservative, instructive or dissenting views. From 2009 onwards, both in Greece and abroad, social media and journalism put Kavafi to the service of a variety of ideological positions. The poet's work, extremely volatile in appearing, appearing moralistic and didactic, while at the same time employing irony and ambiguity to undermine facile conclusions and biased viewpoints, was tied to observations and commentary in the crisis that ranged from trite and conventional to inspired and original. As such, the renewed prominence that Kavafi has enjoyed during the crisis years has not been devoid of misadventures and misunderstandings, closely linked to undercurrent <coughs> political tensions. In September 2015, Nikos Filis, in his inaugural speech as Minister of Education, wrapped up his talk with a line from Kavafi's poem, Ithaca, which rests on the idea that immersing oneself in a journey is of greater importance compared to the final destination. Phyllis stated that the journey he was about to undertake in his new post was, in Kavafi's words, bound to be full of adventure, full of discovery. That's a quote, that's a verse from the poem. Shortly after, the journalist Takis Theodoropoulos reacted to what he thought was inappropriate use of the Alexandria's verse in an article published in Kathimerini under the provocatively hyperbolic title, Kavafi should be banned. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote, uh, quote, it is as if the Minister of Education is telling us, don't expect too much, as in the end, you will probably be disappointed, but we will have a good time along the way and learn a lot, unquote. <laughs> Phyllis's use of Kavafi, Theodoropoulos stated with ironic flair, suggested that, quote, our political leaders are incapable of finding something original to say, so they end up sullying Kavafi's poetry, which is in danger of losing its meaning from the multiplicity of its uses. I therefore propose that he should be listed. The public uses of his verse should be banned by law, and whoever disobeys should be forced to express, in their own words, what they actually meant to say by quoting Kavafi." The targeted nature of Theodoropoulos' commentary on Kavafi's misuse as a means to obscure political responsibility and to gloss over the government's agenda brings forward issues that are of paramount importance with respect to Kavafi's multiple uses during the crisis. It shows the ways in which celebrated authors may become implicated in political controversies, with meaning and the danger of losing it, figuring at the epicenter of who is entitled to employ a nationally celebrated corpus of work and to what ends. As the trials of contemporary events and also the frictions generated within them were projected on Kavafi, the poet came to exemplify the ways in which notions of the originality, authenticity and universality of an authorial voice remain pertinent. It is not by chance that the, that the vast majority of recent articles and newspaper entries, specifically referring to Kavafi as a means to shed light on the crisis, speak of him either as timeless or timely. The first attributed term, 
timeless, attesting to the circularity of history as reflected in Cavafy's acute social and political observations, the second one highlighting the aptitude of Cavafy's work as a means to understand and negotiate the country's precarious condition. It is this reality of the crisis-induced intersections between the literary and the political that Dimitris Plazos delineates in a recent essay about the 2013 Cavafy Basque controversy. The essay discusses an initiative, known to many of you, launched by the Onassis Public Benefit Foundation to celebrate its newly established possession of the CP Cavafy archive. Illustration of Cavafy's portrait appeared alongside his fragmented verses on Athenian public transport, with the verses selected for quotation, maintaining topical relevance, but causing controversy due to their isolation from the original poetic context, the popular uses unsettling and challenging traditional notions of respect toward a nationally sanctified and canonized text. These are some photos of the buses on which uh, Cavafy's uh, verses uh, figured. And you can see also that there's a portrait of the poet in kind of a, a new adaptation. Ap apart from signaling political tensions, the controversy sparked around the public transport initiative was evidence not only of the widespread recognition that Cavafy's work still enjoys, but also of a nation's robust investment in its most idolized personalities. While narratives of Cavafy's work as current and up-to-date guarantee his reputation's endurance, the accessibility of his poetry to vast communities of readers and the continual transformation of his persona through debatable reproductions created divisive conflict. There were specific political reasons under underpinning the public transport project's dubious effect, but it is also the case that the idea of a pop Cavafy was in itself controversial. It created an unfamiliar image of the poet's work and personality as they are known, and paradoxically, even as they may not be thoroughly known. It is a fact that as a nation capitalizes on its most representative heroes, this attachment becomes increasingly imaginary, only loosely connected to the work of art or even the act of reading. It is indeed not hard to imagine those taking offense to have never rigorously or systematically ap 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 applied themselves to the study of Cavafy. And paradoxically, it is precisely the idea of non-rigorous and unsystematic applications that most protest against. What emerges, therefore, as more important than poetry itself, is this sense of personal identification with a symbolic value inextricably tied to the constitution of an institutionally produced and nationally defined sanctified artwork that ties creator and self with tenuous yet powerful links. As the nostalgia induced by the poet's old photographs in black and white or sepia tones is substituted for the pop, the glossy and the colorful, the problem of classifying art in high and low, popular and hybrid, comes to the forefront. New and familiar visual clues alienate those that feel intrinsically connected to a figure that has been ritualized through tradition, regardless of thorough knowledge of the work or lack thereof. The original is a prerequisite to the notion of authenticity and the poet as recognizable genius with an uncorrupted poetical corpus provides a conceptual crutch that serves consolatory and emotional purposes. But when words of wisdom are reproduced, fragmented and dispersed, they do not retain the same gravity or meaning. And an unrecognizable Cavafy, plastered in bright colors and angular shapes and buses is no longer the voice of cherished wisdom but merely another trivial everyday reality that only vaguely evokes Cavafy's messianic role as a means to transcend the historical moment. There is also a deeper uh, class issue at play, 
obscured by appeals to individual disinterested claim to taste and aesthetics. The privilege of those who feel entitled to claim the true meaning of the work of art is undermined by this open, non-discriminatory and wide-reaching invitation to participate to the Kavafi spectacle. On the one hand, Kavafi's pictorial value increases his popularity, reinforcing his stature as natural, national poet and bringing poetry to the epicenter of the everyday. On the other, the poet as uncontaminated authority that only few can understand, appreciate and interpret disintegrates. The poet is commodified and therefore loses the awe of the authentic, with all the implication that this carries for how and by whom poetry may be used and quoted. As Walter Benjamin put it, quote, the instant the criterion of authenticity ceases to be applicable to artistic production, the total function of art is reversed. Instead of being based on ritual, it begins to be based on, other, on another practice, politics, unquote. It is true that derivative endeavors and novel appropriations of celebrated artists, precisely because of the symbolic value they hold, which, as I mentioned, transcends the work, its nuances and complexity, lend themselves to the service of a variety of ideological standpoints or populist discourses. If we retain a certain optimism of opening up poetry to the public, this overruns the fact that what we are talking about is not poetry itself, but imagined associations and identifications that hurt and offend for it only takes a particular set of circumstances for our unquestioned emotional attachment to authoritative discourses to become a deeply personal matter. <laughs> These identifications are exacerbated at times of crisis, when notions of the self, belonging, and identification with the national are radically challenged. Of course, not every artist or poet enjoys the privilege of being able to offend. It is only the select few, those who have been inculculated as larger than life or as cultural heritage, who are around our protection from corruption and misuse. It is this intuitive, protective tendency that web satire has, not always consciously, highlighted. For times of crisis, apart from driving towards social and political introspection, engender disobedience and a tendency to undermine institutional glorifications and the mechanisms that constitute the symbolic and our emotional ties to it. It so happens that the periodization of the Greek crisis coincides roughly with the explosion of social media in Greece, along with the subsequent increase of mass participation in conversations around the politics of a static adaptation. The numerous satirical appropriations that emerged on the occasion of the bus incident are a case in point of a drive, not so much to mock the initiative, but to gesture towards investments in notions of high literary value and master narratives. Even if unwittingly, these gestures reactivate the Kavafi conversation. And this is an example well, yeah, on the internet, the, the quotes were replaced by photos of politicians with kind of funny, funny captions. I don't know. A recent incident that exemplifies this trend is the controversy that sparked over the last month around the Facebook page Elitist Poet of the Aegean. This is the Facebook page. <laughs> Odysseus Elitis, winner of the Nobel Prize for Poetry in 1979, is a major figure, figure for Greek letters and belongs to the canonical tripartite of Greek poets, also comprising Seferis and Kavafi. While with his work Axionesti, Elitis decisively gestured to national and political concerns, 
The poet had previously been berated for apolitical approaches in poetry collections that immortalized the Mediterranean scenery, the magical imagery of the Aegean, and the sublimity of the Greek sun. These elements of Elitis' poetry granted him the ironic characterization, Sunday poet, the implication being that he was a poet of frivolous and leisurely preoccupations. The Facebook page, finding in these elements of the poet's work an occasion to embark upon a humorous spree, ironically replicated the common usages of Elitis' verse over sentimental pictures of Facebook, uh, on Facebook of sunsets and that kind of thing, by superimposing on the poet's image quotes that Elitis never actually wrote. These indiscriminately conjured up imaginary scenarios, proceeding to even create a travesty out of the Nobel Prize ceremony, where Elitis finds himself in Sweden and appears confused at the absence of sun-kissed Mediterranean woman. <laughs> and these are some uh, examples of the memes. I've translated the first one. The first one uh, says, from time to time, I feel the need to offer to society as a whole. Then I wear my warmest smile and offer consolation to divorced women who read Cosmopolitan. I approach them, offering them a Cosmopolitan cocktail so I can start flirting with a pun. They smile at my pun. I feel proud. I am as therapeutic as the rays of the Aegean sun that you can feel caressing you after six in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, this, would, this would only be another random example of a web trend if a lawsuit had not been filed against the page. The person who filed, uh, who filed it issued a statement that reads as following. Um, the issue is not just that the lay person may be misled to think that these things were actually said or written by Littis, even though the page actually has a disclaimer for those that, ca that can't get a hint, these are actually not things that Littis said, uh, but that the motivation of trawling, and especially of the systematic kind, brutally insults the memory of the poet, who was devoted to the private path and on no occasion sought meaningless and useless public exposure. I'm not going to embark upon details and analysis because I do not care to prove the self-evident. Whoever possesses a hint of critical thought understands that this practice is unacceptable and unthinkable. I therefore call upon, uh, call upon the mastermind of this endeavor to stop this vulgarity. And I do so significantly on the day of the poet's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, always following my own private path, I will expose them in open light with all the legal consequences. I reacted against this unprecedented uh, ugliness with a lawsuit submitted to the National Cyber Crime Agency. <laughs> on, on 6 February 2016, I completed the legal procedures and the issue was directed to Greek justice. I did Maji. Justice may now speak. From now onwards, there remains one substantial question. Is anybody in the name of free speech entitled to the unrestrained use of any name? Not just elitists, but the name of any person without any particular reason, but just for jokes and banter. And for that to be an ending, I saw with great sadness that people of the letters, people with doctorates, in any case, many who are not just anybody, like this page and relentlessly, that relentlessly trolls elitists. Does this practice excite them? How would they feel if somebody did the equivalent to them? Or is it allowed on this occasion because elitists is dead? Alas. The statement rehearses a series of cliches that are typical of any comparable censorship case. The sacrilege committed against the poet, the danger of misguiding the common man, and eventually the issue of morality. But of course, the plaintiff is conceptually misguided to ask his audience how they would feel if somebody did this to them or to any other person. 
the point of this parody is to cannibalize what is perceived as sacred and institutionalized. And this is precisely where its potential humorous effect derives from. If elites were nobody, this experiment would be devoid of provocative effect. This statement also willfully ignores other aspects of what is solely perceived as an anti-elitist campaign. Boiled down to emblematic usage, uh, the poet's image becomes a plane on which disenfranchisement with Greek identity itself is projected, and particularly with the stereotype of the Neo-Elinas. This is an untranslatable term. It connotes the contemporary Greek, usually envisioned as a male, who possesses the mentality of social irresponsibility and laissez-faire that for many amounts to accountability for social decay and ultimately for the emergence of the crisis. By painting a contemporary milieu of cheap entertainment, alcohol, and a hint of misogyny in colloquial language, complete with poetic cliches, the memes are not at the end of the day targeting elites, regardless of whether his exaltation of the Aegean and the Mediterranean sun provide a contrastic backdrop to caricature contemporary lifestyles and concerns. The lawsuit against elites is indicative of the drive to preserve a property structure, whereby cultural heritage resembles a holy grail owned by or granted to those worthy of it. But as prevailing interpretations strive to dominate hermeneutics, appropriations cannot be circumvented. It is not only acceptable, but it is also desirable for artworks to instigate conflicting interpretations and unconventional uses. Will Kavafi's or Elitz's reputation actually suffer when their poetry is detached from the domain of tradition and applied to new contexts? Probably not. What really is at stake beyond reactions against the decay of the aura of the work of art, is that commodification generates political and ideological frictions that run beyond aesthetic interpretation. And criticism of these positions should indeed be encouraged, for it is precisely this fertile dialogue that sustains the relevance of art. Ultimately, and especially at times rife with rhetorical urgency, the issue that presents itself is not really poetry itself, its aesthetic integrity or its meaning, but a persistent question, who has the power to decide? Thank you.